0: Are you interested in Christian education? Would you like to learn how to be a Christian teacher or how to run your very own Christian school with success? The GCS Apprenticeship Program can help. Learn more on our website at gcsapprenticeship.com.
1: living.
2: Uh, It's your man, Joe Salon, and I'm chilling here with uh, abolitionist Kate Robinson. This is a special war room presentation, and we're going to be doing most of the war rooms now live on the Reconstructionist Radio Facebook feed, so please feel free to share these around so that we can get more people involved in the quest for righteousness and justice. You know, one of the funny things that I heard in one of these groups was They were like saying, hey, you know, these Reconstructionists, they're always talking about justice. What is that, man? Are they like social justice warriors or something? Like, why are these Christians like acting like this? Why are they acting? What's what's the big deal about justice? And I'm like, are you are you kidding me? Righteousness and justice is the foundation of God's throne. How are you going to establish the kingdom of God without talking about issues that deal with justice? Right. And especially justice for, for the least, for the, for the vulnerable in society. And so, as there's a bunch of controversy raging around uh, in the wake of Joel McDermott's book, uh, The Problem of Slavery in Christian America, where we have had, um, gosh, a, a segment of so called Reconstructionists or older Recons or something like that, uh, literally defending um, racist teachers. And uh, I mean, these are, these are teachers that carry the banner of Christian reconstruction, and they are literally saying that culture is, is race externalized. It's genetics externalized, that the, that, the, that the blood shouldn't mix, all right? And that is in the wake of, of how many years of oppression that, that we have the problem of slavery in Christian America and to see this issue and to, and to not be clearly on the right side of justice is unacceptable. And today, we're joined by Kate Robinson because Kate Robinson has been uh, an abolitionist for for a long time, and uh, one of the uh, one of the foundations of, uh, of of abolitionism isn't just it's not just about standing. Uh, in the gap for the unborn, but it's about standing against injustice, period. It's about abolishing all injustice 100%. And let me tell you, there's really nothing more self-defeating than the American conservatives' attempt to gain points in the battle for the heart of the culture. It's quite pitiful uh the evangelical right has been on a monstrous streak of suicidal stupidity for quite some time now and, and right now what i'm doing is i'm setting this up for kate i'm waiting for some for some more viewers to come on but i want to lay the foundation i want to lay the groundwork for what we're going to be talking about here and how it relates to the establishment of the foundations of, of god's throne righteousness and justice psalm eighty nine fourteen. look Christians in our culture, especially the evangelical right, has been on a monstrous streak of suicidal stupidity for quite some time now. And there's very little in history that can match the obtuse nature of the pseudo-Christian right wing, kind of like really thick-headed pea-brain type stuff, pretty much all the way around. So I'm sorry, but it's true. Uh, As as Bo Marinoff has pointed out on on several occasions, um, and we're going to be interacting a little bit with the audience at the end. Uh, that there is no political constituency that has shot itself in the foot with such ardor and self-congratulations than the American conservatives. So so willingly throwing in the trash heap, all that they hold dear, as soon as the left erects a boogeyman, whether it's uh, uh, racial issues or, or social justice or feminism or whatever it is, conservatives run smack into the other direction. We're patriarchs, or whatever the case may be, okay? Uh, fearing exactly, and so it's, it's the self-canceling nature when, uh, of, of the worldview. They fear exactly, exactly the very remedy to what ails them. They're like the terminally ill patient just smacking the medicine out of the doctor's hand and throwing it down the toilet. Okay. Uh, at the root of this is a lack of covenantal understanding. It's the inability to judge between good and evil according to the word of God. Or as Paul puts it, it's a lack of spirituality. He that, ju- he that is spiritual judges all things. 1 Corinthians 2.15 So we have a long history in America, a long record of handing the secular left power by giving what should be our natural constituency to the pagan state. Okay, so the church of Jesus Christ is the servant to the least of these, Matthew 25, 40, seeking and establishing justice for those image bearers of God without the power to establish it for themselves. Throughout the greatest eras of kingdom of God expansion, that has always been a hallmark, for example. It is how the early church defeated the powerful pagan Roman Empire because top-down power is not the biblical model, and it never works to win the heart of the masses. The biblical principle is the other way around, a complete reversal of the order of the flesh, which is the Darwinistic survival of the fittest. With the physically strongest at the top dictating their will to the weaker vessels in society, and Jesus flipped that on its head, and he described power like this, He who serves leads so that's uh, that's Matthew uh, uh, see let's just go ahead and, and, and understand the one who is the the servant is the one with the most power the greatest in the kingdom of God and the servant of the weaker members of society is the one with the most power at all. Thus, American conservatives have ritualistically decided in our history to absolutely toss away our power by refusing to serve the weaker members of society. One of the most egregious, blatant examples of this has been what we've been dealing with with this racial issue, which is allowing the pagan state to create the great society uh, under the guise of helping blacks and minorities when conservatives were calling race mixing communism, the amalgamation of the races, communism. So LBJ, so the churches didn't step up, didn't fill in the gaps, didn't win the hearts of the least of society, which were created by church apathy to begin with, and complicity with slavery and racism. And then you heard LBJ, Lyndon bay Johnson, on air on Air Force One, after rolling out the Great Society, which is trampling the churches today, says on Air Force One, I will have these N-words voting Democrat for the next 200 years. And the secular left, use the Christian apathy toward the black community, are the least of these created by the churchmen themselves to grow the size, strength, and scope of the federal beast to where it is today. So conservatives feared service to the segment of our society uh, was communism, and then the communists stepped in and won their hearts, and look what we have today. That is exactly how stupid that it is. So when humanism is at the locus of society, as the idol of the age, the hallmark feature is that the weaker vessels, the ones who cannot establish justice for themselves, are the first to be sacrificed. Obviously, the easiest example where this is demonstrated is the abortion holocaust. But the abortion holocaust didn't rise up in a vacuum, nor is it perpetuated as an isolated phenomenon. The American ritual child sacrifice genocide is merely the rotten fruit of paganism as the worldview of the rotten foundations of a pagan society. So, to restore the foundations, it is vital to identify for destruction the fallacious thinking that permeates the saltless, lightless christian community in our culture the pagan strongholds masquerading under a christian banner now i'm going to about to ask Kate some questions but it's very important to switch this to our topic today more related look patriarchalism is one of these areas where we have failed as christians where we have embraced fallacious thinking and called it Christian whereas throughout the European Christendom legal equality was built for women the enlightenment tore it down with its absurd biological theory of women being less than men. True feminism where the woman has a rightful place of authority besides men is biblical. It's modeled after the bride of Christ as the bride of Christ establishes justice throughout the earth. Yet the American churchmen left it to the secular left to fight the patriarchy and, and replace it with an absurd confusion of the gender roles in the name of fa- feminism. So the only thing that's more appealing, than more unappealing, excuse me, than women pretending to be men is Christians preserving the paganism of patriarchy where the woman is merely an addendum to the man, not a co-ruler and an idol smasher, but one who needs all her authority delegated by her husband. So as has been demonstrated in uh, Acts to the Root, a white privilege episode. God's justice, now this is very important. God's justice is not blind. Yahweh is not the pagan goddess of justice with the blindfold and the scales. Alright, God's justice is personal. And he is deeply involved with protecting the weaker vessels in society. Equal justice for all is an abstraction. It's a complete Abstraction in a world that is beset by sin Where there is inequality of power Though God hates and punishes All injustice of course Injustice committed by the powerful Against the weak draws his wrath, draws the fire of his wrath in a very, very, very potent way. The law of God is filled with brave warnings of mistreating the weaker vessels in society, the orphan, the widow, the stranger. He has placed special boundaries of protection around the weaker members of society, and he watches very carefully how we apply his justice. So listen up. In a culture that sacrifices its children through abortion to Moloch en masse, you should expect to see its women objectified and the pagan view of justice apply. In other words, men are objectified too. Everyone's objectified. Don't worry about it. There's nothing special about the objectification of women. Which came first? The dehumanization and the sacrifice of the preborn of the or the objectification of the mothers who will murder them It's a chicken and egg problem, a sickly lizard of lust devouring its own offspring. So we got to kill that lizard, and we're going to have more on that. One thing is for certain, the objectification and dehumanization of the weaker vessels in society, women, children, babies. It's a hallmark of the fact that Moloch is king. To smash the idol of the age, it's essential not to respond to this injustice by saying, All objectification matters. Men are objectified objectified to, so on and so forth churchmen responding like pagans all objectification matters men are objectified too, why did she go out of the house wearing that what did she expect to happen chivalry is rejected as the stronger vessels pretend to need the same protection as the weaker vessel, men become perpetually lustful little teenagers uh, my friend Gavin Syme on Facebook had a picture he was, he was basically lifting his wife up showing the relationship that he and his wife had and stuff like that uh, just you know, basically just honoring her, and she was wearing something that uh, that some guy thought was inappropriate or something like that, and he felt like it was totally cool. To say something about it on Facebook under the Christian guise of, oh, look look at what your wife's wearing. Isn't that inappropriate? So let me translate that for you. I'm checking out your wife, dog. I'm checking out your wife, dog, and I'm doing it under a Christian banner so I can hide behind it and all that other kind of stuff. Perpetually lustful little teenagers. So the Christian right, scared of anything or looks or even smells like feminism, throws the opportunity to gain power by serving the weaker vessel in society with the application of God's Justice right in the garbage once again. We don't want power. We'll give it to the left. We'll give it to this fake feminist movement. We are the patriarchs, the man in front. You know all that. Women's going to do this and all that kind. So we will take the power and throw it directly in the trash. We will take the testimony of King Jesus and mix it all up with the Greek goddess of injustice, blind justice, with the blind application of justice portrayed as the Christian position. There is no way to stop the corrupt from abusing power when this happens. Justice is not blind. A Christian who does not apply the law of God rightly is, uh, is, is, is saltless and lightless and will not be allowed influence in society. We're straight up. The strong never says the strong never says when the softer is in danger, I am in danger too. Instead of rejecting feminism, show how the pagan form is defeminizing dehumanism and how true Feminism is found in the biblical created order. Image bears with different roles. Co-equal idol smashers. The strong and the soft. Beautifully created. Knitted together in God's image. Conquering the land in tandem. Just like instead of rejecting reparations for the inner city. Say no, no, no. Get the state out of the business of reparations and let the church go into these areas and be the bride of Christ and raise up idol smashers in the inner city and we'll take care of them. That's how you win the hearts. That's how Islam was almost Destroyed before the 1900s turned into the, but right at the turn of the 20th century, Islam was almost destroyed that way. So I mean, it's, it's just crazy. We take the opportunity for power as Christians in our culture and throw it in the trash. To whom much is given, much is required. Right. Everyone to whom who was given of him more will be required, and from him to him that was entrusted with much, they will demand the more. Luke twelve forty eight. That is the look. If you're if you're entrusted with strength, at the end of the day, there comes a responsibility with right. that. Okay, you you have strength as a man. if you're born if you if you're a man, there's a role that you have to play protecting the weaker vessel in society. With that, it is my honor to introduce abolitionist Kate Robinson. It's, it's, it's wonderful <laughs> to have you. Welcome to the war room, Kate. Thank you. That was amazing. All right, Dang, so brother,
0: I don't have anything to add. That oh, well,
2: I have fun. some I'm questions kidding. to ask. I have some questions all right, to ask. All right. First. Um, why are we wearing these Kill the Lizard shirts today? Yeah, I don't know if you guys Why are we wearing it. Kill
0: the Lizard. Kill the Lizard. Why are, we, why are
2: we wearing these shirts?
0: Um, so, the Kill the Lizard hashtag, it was created... I mean, it wasn't actually created to be a big movement. It, my sister started using it on posts talking about objectification. But it's referencing... So, I'm going to read a passage from the book that it's referencing just so everyone can understand what it's talking about. Um, it's a book. It's from The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis. And it it's describing... Um, it's a metaphor for killing pet sins. So I'm going to read that real quick, and then we'll we'll explain the relevance to all this stuff. So bear with me here. I saw coming towards us a ghost who carried something on his shoulder. Like all the ghosts, he was unsubstantial, but they differed from one another as smokes differ. Some had been whitish. This one was dark and oily. What sat on his shoulder was a little red lizard, and it was twitching its tail like a whip and whispering things in his ear. As we caught sight of him, he turned his head to the reptile with a snarl of impatience. "'Shut up, I tell you,' he said. It wagged its tail and continued to whisper to him. He ceased snarling and presently began to smile. Then he turned and started to limp westward away from the mountains. "'Off so soon?' said a voice. The speaker was more or less human in shape, but larger than a man and so bright that I could hardly look at him. His presence smote on my eyes and on my body, too, for there was heat coming from him as well as light.' "'Well, the morning sun at the beginning of a, um, pardon me, "'like the morning sun at the beginning of a tyrannous summer day. "'Yes, I'm off,' said the ghost. "'Thanks for your hospitality, but it's no good, you see. "'I told this little chap,' here he indicated the lizard, "'that he'd have to be quiet if he came, which he insisted on doing. "'Of course his stuff won't do here, I realize that. "'But he won't stop. I shall just have to go home.' "'Would you like me to make him quiet?' said the flaming spirit, "'an angel, as I now understood. "'Of course I would,' said the ghost.' Then I will kill him, said the angel, taking a step forward. Oh, uh, look, you're burning me. Keep away, said the ghost, retreating. Don't you want him killed? You didn't say anything about killing him at first. I hardly meant to bother you with anything so drastic as that. It's the only way, said the angel, whose burning hands were now very close to the lizard. Shall I kill it? Well, that's a further question. I'm quite open to consider it but it's a new point, isn't it? I mean, for the moment, I was only thinking about silencing it, because up here, well, it's so damned embarrassing. May I kill it? Well, there's time to discuss this later. There's no time. May I kill it? Please, I never meant to be such a nuisance. Please, really, don't bother. Look, it's gone to sleep of its own accord. I'm sure it'll be all right now. Thanks ever so much. May I kill it? Honestly, I don't think there's the slightest necessity for that. I'm sure I shall be able to keep it in order now. I think the gradual process would be far better than killing it. The gradual process is of no use at all. Don't you think so? Well, I'll think over what you've said very carefully. I honestly will. In fact, I'd let you kill it now, but as a matter of fact, I'm not feeling frightfully well today. It would be most silly to do it now. I'd need to be in good health for the operation. Some other day, perhaps. There is no other day. All days are present now. Mm. Get back. You're burning me. How can I tell you to kill it? You'd kill me if you did. It's not so. Why, you're hurting me now. I never said it wouldn't hurt you. I said it wouldn't kill you. Mm. Oh, I know. You think I'm a coward. But isn't that... But it isn't that. Really, it isn't. I say, let me run back by tonight's bus and get an opinion from my own doctor, and I'll come back the first moment I can. This moment contains all moments. Mm. Why are you torturing me? You're jeering at me. How can I let you tear me in pieces? If you want to help me, why didn't you kill the damn thing without asking me before I knew it? It would all be over by now if you had. I cannot kill it against your will. It's impossible. Have I your permission? The angel's hands were now almost closed on the lizard, but not quite. Then the lizard began chattering to the ghost, so loud that even I could hear what it was saying. Be careful, it said. He can do what he says. He can kill me. One fatal word from you, and he will. Then you'll be without me forever and ever. It's not natural. How could you live? You'd be only a sort of a ghost, not a real man as you are now. He doesn't understand. He's only a cold, bloodless, abstract thing. It may be natural for him, but it isn't for us. "'Yes, yes, I know there are no real pleasures now, only dreams, but aren't they better than nothing? "'And I'll be so good. I admit I've sometimes gone too far in the past, but I promise I won't do it again. "'I'll give you nothing but really nice dreams, all sweet and fresh and almost innocent. "'You might say quite innocent.' "'Have I your permission?' said the angel to the ghost. "'I know it will kill me.' "'It won't, but supposing it did.' "'You're right. It would be better to be dead than to live with this creature.' Then I may? Damn and blast you, go on. Can't you get over it? Do what you like, bellowed the ghost, but ended whimpering, God help me, God help me. (laughs) Next moment, the ghost gave a scream of agony such as I have never heard on earth. The burning one closed his crimson grip on the reptile, twisted it while it bit and writhed, and then flung it broken-backed on the turf. Ow, that's done for me, gasped the ghost, reeling backwards. For a moment I could make out nothing distinctly. Then I saw, between me and the nearest bush, unmistakably solid but growing every moment solider, the upper arm and the shoulder of a man. Then, brighter still and stronger, the legs and hands. The neck and golden head materialized while I watched. And if my attention had not wavered, I I should have seen the actual completing of a man, an immense man, naked, not much smaller than the angel. What distracted me was the fact that at the same moment something seemed to be happening to the lizard. At first, I thought the operation had failed. So far from dying, the creature was still struggling and even growing bigger as it struggled. And as it grew, it changed. Its hinder parts grew round. The tail, still flickering, became a tail of hair that flickered between huge and glossy buttocks. Suddenly, I started back, rubbing my eyes. What stood before me was the greatest stallion I have ever seen, silvery white, but with mane and tail of gold. It was smooth and shining, rippled with swells of flesh and muscle, whinnying and stamping with its hoofs. At each stamp, the land shook, and the tree dindled. I'm going to read just a little bit farther, and bear with me here, because this last part is important. Absolutely. The new-made man turned and clapped the new horse's neck. It nosed his bright body. Horse and master breathed into each other's nostrils. The man turned from it, flung himself at the feet of the burning one, and embraced him. When he rose, I thought his face shone with tears, but it may have been only the liquid love and brightness. One cannot distinguish them in that country, which flowed from him. "'I had not long to think about it. "'Turning in his seat, he waved a farewell, "'then nudged the stallion with his heels. "'They were off before I knew well what was happening. "'There was riding, if you like. "'I came out as quickly as I could from among the bushes "'to follow them with my eyes, "'but already they were only like a shooting star "'far off on the green plain "'and soon among the foothills of the mountains. "'Then still, like a star, I saw them winding up, "'scaling what seemed impossible steeps, "'and quicker every moment, "'till near the dim brow of the landscape, "'so high that I must strain my neck to see them.' They vanish, bright themselves into rose brightness of everlasting morning. I'm going to skip a little bit, but he goes, the the character that's narrating, goes on to talk to his mentor that's there. And he says, Do you understand all this, my son? said the teacher. I don't know about all, sir, said I. Am I right in thinking the lizard really turned into a horse? Yes, but it was killed first. You'll not forget that part of the story? I'll try not to, sir. But does it mean that everything... Everything that is in us can go on to the mountains. Nothing, not even the best and noblest, can go as it is now. Nothing, not even what is lowest and most bestial, will not be raised again if it submits to death. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. Flesh and blood cannot come to the mountains, not because they are too rank, but because they are too weak. What is the lizard compared with a stallion? lust is a poor weak whimpering whispering thing compared with that richness and energy of desire which will rise when lust has been killed
2: amen amen so that's where the
0: hashtag comes (laughs)
2: from awesome all right so look so uh so kill the lizard so in this passage by c.s lewis and the great divorce we're talking about the so the lizard is is lust or is it
0: I mean it can be applied to any pet beloved sin that, that we wanna hold on to, but Lewis himself, you know, Obviously. relates it to lust. He's talking
2: yeah. about lust. Okay. All right. So uh, let me see, where's my AHA symbol? Oh yeah. Why's why is, why, hey, why is there an AHA symbol on this shirt, kill the lid.
0: Okay. So that's the
2: direct connection between the objectification of women or lust or whatever the case may be and the abolition of human abortion.
0: Well, we we all know that as abolitionists, we have to ask ourselves, what does it look like to be a Christian in a culture that practices a great evil? And we say all the time, the primary symptom of a fundamentally sick society is that we kill our own children in great numbers. We see children as commodities, that they are um, to be acquired to fulfill our desires or sacrificed to achieve other desires, Um, we worship in our culture, a perverse corruption of sex. Mm. Many of us have never in our lives experienced or even pursued the real thing that God designed for our joy and his glory. We want to take without giving, um, without sacrifice, without responsibility. And in this foolish pursuit of, of that, Mm. we rob ourselves and we rob our partners of any true satisfaction. Um, (laughs) <laughs> sure, sure. Sorry, sure. <laughs> because nothing worth having comes cheaply, sure. and, and without sacrificial love, it's not real.
2: Right, right, um, right.
0: All we can ever hope for, without selfless sacrificial love, is the clanging symbol version of mm-hmm. pleasure and imitation right, that right. signifies nothing. Right. But but we're like junkies, and we keep chasing more and more of, of an increasingly unfulfilling high, long after it stopped being fun. Just like with drugs. Which is what we're seeing, like you said, it's exploding in the news cycle. It's exploding across the culture. Even the most enthusiastic proponents of licentiousness and sin are seeing their own philosophies backfire and crumble all around them. Sure. Um, And like addicts, we always hurt other people. In our pursuit of self and our insistence on providing for our own satisfaction, autonomous from our creator, we hurt children. It's always children who pay the most. It rolls down on the weakest members of society because even cheap imitation sex makes real human babies Mm -hmm. and a baby that's conceived in selfishness, as we all know is either going to be killed in selfishness or raised in selfishness. If one of the parents doesn't repent and choose sacrificial love, or if someone else practicing sacrificial love doesn't rescue that child. Um, so it's very clear how sex that is selfishly driven that seeks your own fulfillment and doesn't care for the fulfillment of the other um, or for their ultimate good, in other words, sex that objectifies, <laughs> always and everywhere leads to abuse, neglect, or abandonment of children to some degree. And sure. very, very often it results in their murder. Um, sure. Now, sex that objectifies doesn't have to be just for physical pleasure. It, you can be acting out of some other more powerful desire, like the desire to receive affection or what feels like affection, um, to feel desirable, to feel powerful, to exercise some past trauma or pain, but any time, including in marriage, that sex is sought to fulfill oneself and not the other party, or, and the other party is seen as a means to your fulfillment mm. and not as an image bearer of God, that person is being treated as an object. Okay. That's what we mean when we say objectifying. Um, of course, you know, desire for pleasure mm. and affection are perfectly right. They're natural in, in their proper context. But desire to feel those things that does not consider the good of the other person is selfish. And to use someone else to meet your selfish desire is to use them as an object, is to objectify them. Um, So, but you touched on, you know, obviously all people objectify each other. So why is it women specifically that we're focusing on? Is it because we sin less? Is it because we're pure snow white angels who never do anything wrong
2: is it because it's a social justice plot <laughs> is of the because, What is it? <laughs> is why, it why, are, we ta- why are we talking about that yeah
0: of course not everybody has sinned we all know all have sinned and fallen short of the glory yeah. of god all humans men and women apart from repentance and generation are lovers of self right. but and again you said this tyranny is cowardly and it's by definition top down So in a fallen world, the strong oppress those who are weaker than themselves. And of course, by weaker, I mean in terms of power dynamics, not value. Um, And in our world, men have more physical strength. I mean, we can... can. You're a
2: little bigger than men.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Men have more physical strength. They have more social strength, especially in the church. And even though the gender pay gap is a total myth... Uh, they have more economic strength. Mm-hmm. So a wicked woman, someone who is actually a seductress or a temptress, she may try to seduce a man. Sure. But ultimately, she can't do anything that he does not consent to. Um, but because there's a physical disparity between women and men, women can be sexually violated whether they consent to sin or not. Right. We have to depend entirely on the character of each individual man and his adherence to the social contract For our safety. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, men and women are are equally sinful, but they're not the same. And they're the way they sin is not the same. God made us different, we have opposing and complementary strengths and needs. Um it's a while it's a myth that is perpetuated mainly in religious circles that women don't care about sex. It is true that our enjoyment of it is um secondary to and often dependent on other more other desires like the need for love or security or to feel desired to feel cherished and these things it makes us sexually vulnerable to exploitation in ways that men are not Um, sexuality is more dangerous for us we're more likely to contract stds we're more likely to experience pain and of course in pregnancy we're more likely to carry the responsibilities of that blessing alone Mm -hmm. uh we're more likely to be victims of domestic violence in the case of abuse or abandonment by a partner, we're more likely to be financially destitute um, because that was our provider. So these are some of the reasons that women in our culture are sexually objectified to the degree that we are, where owning a harem is still seen as a symbol of a powerful man in Mm. in film and television. And uh, our bodies are actually deconstructed. And um, shown as isolated parts or objects on film posters, on billboards, on magazines, um, all over the place, on television screens. Everyday suburban men pay to have sex with trafficked children. By the thousands, mm. women are um, kidnapped and raped by the thousands yeah. for money. So, sure. Uh, sure. you know, you don't have to agree with my explanation, but sure. the statistics are totally undeniable.
2: Sure. Um, and, and at this point, I would I would add, you know, as the and, and as we're talking about the woman as the weaker vessel, you know, when we're talking about sex trafficking, I mean, you know, little boys would fall in that, in that category. As yeah, well, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Children are
0: children are yeah. weaker.
2: Well, exactly. And yeah, the same principle there. So brr, I could tell there was like some smoke building behind the glass. Like, ah, you know, hey, what is it? You t- let me I don't want to interrupt. Kate. Okay. No, you're good. I want I, if if um if y'all haven't, you know, heard this topic before, if you if you if you haven't heard basically kind of the, the arguments that have been laid out here, go to the beginning. Hear how I laid this out as the as the slanting of justice towards the weaker vessel. Right. Not the bending of God's law, not not unequal justice but the application of god's justice and that is what kate is expanding on right now so if you jump in right in the middle a lot of this stuff we're we're triggered as, as as christians in our culture to have like our social justice warrior antennas out you know and really this is about righteousness and justice so if we want power this is so look watch the whole thing before offering comment and stuff like that you know what i mean i mean you can yeah, comment yeah, but, yeah yeah i mean, you but know please, I mean. yeah i hey, agree don't, Try comment, not to don't, be, don't be saying nothing man um, all right go ahead
0: yeah so yeah, i okay. mean that that's good that's exactly right yeah, and yeah, uh yeah. so so that but all these things that we're saying yeah. this is the reason that the sexual objectification of women is one of the great evils of our society that we have to address both genders do objectify each other absolutely um at, but, women don't typically objectify men sexually, and men are not in physical danger for their lives yeah. in the same numbers to the same degree. Um, what, adult yeah, adult yeah. men. Yeah, adult men. Yes, yes. Um, but, and, and this is another good point, it, it's not insignificant that this objectification of women also objectifies men. So, yeah. when we're treated as meat... Y'all yeah. are treated as instinct-driven beasts that are helpless at the center. Straight of up. Straight and, and up. And I don't think that's true. Yeah. <laughs> um,
2: and we will take we will take some questions at the end, as, as long as they're good and they've been filtered through the producer. Yeah.
0: <laughs> no, you, just like, we'll take some questions.
2: questions. We'll <laughs> take, we'll take um, questions, but save them to the end. Appreciate it.
0: So, yeah, yeah I mean, the final, and basically, to yeah. answer your question, we specify women because as God-ordained leaders and as the stronger vessels... Men have a special duty of care, like you said, to yeah. protect and defend women and children and to lead the charge in, in societal change.
2: Straight up, straight up. Now look, uh, that shouldn't be a controversial message. Everything that you just said right there should be like, duh, I'm <laughs> I'm a Christian, I'm a man. That is that is my role. Like I protect the more vulnerable vessel in society for for these biblical reasons, and that's establishing justice. God is not going to allow us dominion in the culture. If our justice, if our view of justice is skewed, right, like an all lives matter, all objectification matters type of approach, all right. What group has given you the most pushback when you talk about the objectification of women, and what okay. has been their main objections?
0: Okay, uh, this might be a little bit of a long answer. Okay. I want to start out saying, I, well, <laughs> I'll just say there have been multiple groups. Um, people, there are people who, they may not identify as patriarchalists consciously, um, but whether consciously or subconsciously, whether it's their preference or it's just the result of sitting under incorrect teaching for a long time, um, people who hold to a patriarchal understanding of authority structures and who have been taught or have found appealing doctrines that emphasize the subjugation of women and the fear of women. And we'll talk more about what that means, but, um... There are people, you know, who are kind and decent and good people, but who for one reason or another have been taught to regard women as a curse, mm-hmm. um, who read Genesis 3.16 as a second curse on the man, even though it's described as being a curse on the woman. And they think a women are innately driven to strive against them, to wrest position from them, to rule over them. Um, people who have been taught explicitly or implicitly to fear and feel enslaved to sexuality instead of being masters of it, um... And whose theologies, whether they're spoken or implied, regard the bodies of women as walking, talking threats to their personal purity. Who, okay. you know, forgetting that sexual purity is meant to honor the marriage bed and your partner in it, which for men is women. Um there's a there's an overlapping category which is people who are accustomed and again this is not necessarily from sinful motives but just from long tradition and, and attitudes that we haven't been taught to question um that they've been exposed to for a long time. We're accustomed, it touches on what you said, to seeing the world in terms of tribal loyalties. Right. So we fall into the trap of Christian, as Christians a lot of times of forgetting that Jesus came not for the well but for the sick. And we start to despise the lost, mm-hmm. which are the people that we're commissioned to love. And yeah. we mix up despising the wicked and empty philosophies that have taken those people captive with despising the people themselves Mm. and to the point where we forget what it was we hated about the philosophies. Mm. Um, and we just hate the people group (laughs) that we see representing those ideologies. And so when someone comes along and they use a trigger word like feminism or social justice that we associate with those evil people over there, um, even if it's an accurate word, even if it's a good one, we haven't learned to examine things on their own terms right. um, we haven't learned to examine them in the light of scripture instead of cherry picking scripture to support our predispositions and so we're we are often more loyal to tribes than we are to truth and I think every one of us has been guilty of that fallen into that trap or can remember a time before we learned to think differently um, so again I'm not saying the people who have felt reactive about this are all bad people or bad Christians necessarily um, just that it seems like um, a lot of them have have sort of an us against them mentality yeah. that yeah. with ideas that they associate with particular brands of worldly feminism. right. Not true feminism. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, and, of course, there's the obvious thing that we just read about in the passage, that this could trigger a strong reaction from some men. Right. Because anytime that there's an old, deeply rooted, well-defended stronghold of sin that begins to be attacked in earnest...
2: Sure.
0: ...the lizard starts to talk.
2: Right. <laughs>
0: and starts to right. cry out and, right. and resist and do everything possible not to die. Right. So, sexual lust, slavery to it are total strongholds in the culture. We all know that. And scripture tells us that there'll be strongholds even among many in the church. Mm. And we have created and promoted questionable doctrines in religious circles under which sexual sin and objectification can hide and which even put a righteous spin on them and make them sound sanctified. Right. So instead of treating the bodies of women as objects to be uncovered for the enjoyment of men like the world does, we treat them as objects to be covered up for the protection of men.
2: Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, So, and you know, we
0: don't regard sex as a gift for marriage. We regard lust as the natural and inescapable state and, and God's marriage is just God's solution to it, which ends up objectifying women Mm. because it reduces wives to just vessels for sexual pleasure. Mm. And, and there are badly taught men who may pursue that without regard to, or understanding of mutual needs. And so, you know, we, we've been taught to regard, instead of regarding wives as Ezra kenegdo as as a counterpart, a partner, a co-ruler, as you said, we're taught to translate help me as something like a sermon. Mm. And to understand, um, some men are taught to understand their leadership as being endowed by their title instead of by their actions. It must not
2: like Proverbs 31, I'll tell you. <laughs> I'm telling you. And there's so
0: many books on the Proverbs 31 yeah. wife and, they, and people miss that she like goes yeah. out and works and buys fields yeah. and stuff. Um, so, you know, when we teach men to live as tyrants and to believe that they own their wives, we feed, this is crazy, but it feeds the most common sexual fantasy, sinful sexual fantasy, which is total domination over a woman and total unrestricted access to her. And that's way more common and way more dangerous than the sight of an exposed shoulder or exposed flesh might be. And it's, uh, and it's super dangerous and damaging to children who are brought up in those environments. Sure. Um, so in these ways and in other ways, we have put sort of a Christian gloss on sexual depravity and allowed it to live and flourish under the surface um, of Christian thought and behavior, undetected and unchallenged for a very long time. And this has caused so many good men um, who belong to Christ to think that they are slaves to things from which Christ has set them free that they don't Uh, have to be uh, slaves to, you know? Um, yeah. So it's predictable that, that with long tolerated and pet sins perched on our shoulders, digging in their claws, that there's going to be some panic and some reactiveness as the lizard tries to fight becoming the stallion because he doesn't know.
2: Um, sure.
0: And then of course the Bible tells us that, that among God's sheep, there will always come wolves. And we know that, um, You know, people who pretend to be sheep, who seek to devour God's children, will exist in every movement, in every church, in small numbers, but within the ranks of of the church, there will always be people who are actually wolves, and and those people will um, be terrified of being unmasked and driven out, and they'll do anything they can't stop. Man, I'm, I'm telling you, I was, I'm just,
2: I like, cause I'm trying to actually like formulate like a question and ask you, <laughs> and like the whole time I'm like, dang, this is, I, I, I'm like with Bo Marinoff's comment, this is fire, man, this is, <laughs> hey, that, that, that was, that was straight a fire hose, just a, yeah, it's a, a No, no, that was, that was great. Um, real quick. Uh, the first, like, one of the objections that you hear when you talk about, like, the, you know, objectification of women when it comes to the abortion genocide is, like, oh, are you are we making the woman out to be a victim? Let's cover that just, just super quick. We're yeah, not making I mean, the woman out to be a victim by saying... She is
0: not the victim of abortion. Absolutely not. The, that
2: doesn't erase self-government. Right. It doesn't erase the, your responsibility for self-government, That's right. right? So, it just... It's, it's just, like,
0: I mean, we've talked about... Um, Slavery, slaves sinned. They slaves got abortions. Um, they did all kinds of wicked and evil things. Yeah. Jews sinned in in Nazi Germany, and to oppose their systemic oppression and say that because they are societally weak and the powerful are using their power to crush them, is not to let them off the hook for their own sin. Yeah. Obviously.
2: Straight up. Straight up. That's uh, so, just an important thing. So yeah, thing. women like are not the victims of abortion. That, yeah.
0: Children who are torn to pieces are the victims of abortion.
2: Straight up. Straight up. But so,
0: women can be victims a, of a different kind in those situations, depending, sure. you know, there's all kinds of different situations. But.
2: Sure, sure. Absolutely. So what, what does Paul mean when he says that women are the weaker vessel? We've been hammering that in the introduction. We've been talking about it's just if the justice of God is slanted towards the weaker vessel in society yeah. and Paul says in first uh, I'm sorry, and, and Peter says in first Peter three seven that uh, that the woman is the weaker vessel. Uh, what responsibilities does that place on the shoulders of men as the stronger vessel?
0: Yeah, um, I think that I mean, we touched on it a little bit, but I think people miss the word vessel mm-hmm. or container, which pretty clearly demonstrates it's referring to our bodies, not, it's not our minds, or spirits our tolerance for pain or trials, it's the reality that female bodies are typically smaller, less muscular than those of men, more easily attacked, more easily overpowered, more easily intimidated. Uh, You know, we can't jump as high and run as fast. We need more fat to survive, more rest to be healthy. Our bodies are more vulnerable sexually by the nature of the act, um, more vulnerable in our ability to resist the act if it's unwanted, like we talked about earlier, to the consequences of it. Um, and that means that those who are at a physical advantage and tasked with protection and leadership are responsible to treat us as the Bible commands with kindness and with consideration to shield us from physical harm when possible and mental intimidation that we can be vulnerable to, which is a byproduct of being on constant high alert for our physical safety or, um, being frequently disregarded. I know these are trigger words, but disregarded, degraded, marginalized, and I know there's a temptation for people to think um, if you're on high alert, your constant high alert for your physical safety is overdramatic, but it's really, it's not, it's so normal That we are used to it and we don't even realize it. I go to the gas station every single day to fill the water jug and multiple times like strange men will come up to my truck and talk to me or like call me names or ask me where to buy dope or something. And it's like a constant awareness of like what's around me, who's around me, what am I doing, what do I do if there's no one else around. And I think a lot of men just can't identify with that because it's not something that they have to deal with which isn't an insult to them it's just a reality
2: well to whom much um, is given much is required you know right and and if you if you're if, if you're in the ability if you have the ability to protect uh the weaker vessel in society why as a man would you like shun that very very you yeah. know, natural yeah. biblical role yeah like wouldn't you say yeah isn't that, that's like the, the the that's like chivalry that's like you know Uh, Which isn't
0: something you hear from radical feminists
2: You don't This does not sound like a radical feminist message to me But like the
0: story I told you Before we started (laughs) this Like when Toby and I are out at the abortion clinic And a guy comes up a couple weeks ago And gets in my face and starts calling me names Toby naturally just steps in front of me because he knows inherently there's not like, well, we're both being attacked here. He's like, no, she's weaker than me. I'm going to step in front of her. And I think for most men that's natural, but there's a tendency to compartmentalize where they don't think our minds are part of us. Right. And so they don't feel like there's that same need for special care to, um, they don't think that we can be more easily intimidated mentally or emotionally. Our hearts and minds are part of us. And, and I think that responsibility Um, that we're talking about, uh, go back for a second because there was one uh, um, note that I skipped that is important. Um, So when we talk about that responsibility of protecting the weaker vessel, Mm -hmm. um, I I really think what that means is that in situations where we have been victimized or claim to have been victimized, biblical protocol and case law demand the preservation of our safety first, as a first priority before and during criminal investigations Um, And it regards our testimony, our firsthand testimony in an unwitnessed attack, and and you pointed this out to me, and we'll talk about that in a bit, but as deciding evidence, unless there's some other mitigating factor that makes us the stronger party, like... um, Potiphar's wife joseph was actually a slave there was a different power dynamic there than than there typically Way is. To
2: point that out usually but, <laughs> that's left in isolation right there good stuff um, so sorry, it, it sorry. means
0: that our humanity as image bearers of god yeah. should be championed and defended and that our essential female attributes which make us which set us apart from you guys yeah should be regarded with value and not dismissed and or derided as a weakness i would
2: be honored to do that thank you I should, you know this <laughs> sounds like the biblical what what you would be honored to Do as a man. That just sounds like it's like this is the opposite. Can you tell that what this sister is talking about is the opposite of secular feminism? This is like the axe just cutting through the root of secular feminism. I mean, this is just biblical, honoring the 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 woman as she is made in the image of God and the man's role. Calling
0: for chivalry, yeah, absolutely.
2: Calling for chivalry, unreal, unreal. So. Um, what is the solution to the objectification of women? Scripturally, what does God's law... See, this is Reconstructionist Radio. We're, we're theonics.
0: Yeah, <laughs>
2: some, so, of, us some of us. Some of us. Aren't, some of us don't know <laughs> uh, What is uh, What does God's law demand, and how can we adhere to receive blessings and not curses?
0: Well, I think that um, one of the first... And most essential solutions is to remember that the curses in Genesis, which broke and corrupted the relationship between men and women, were curses. They weren't commands. They weren't God's intention for his redeemed people. He broke every curse. Mm -hmm. And so because of Christ, we can live together in in joyful unity as God designed. Mm -hmm. We don't have to live under that curse as if it was God's desire for us. Um, but God's law, all of scripture demand that we care for widows and orphans. Like you said, that we establish justice for all the oppressed, that we love mercy, that we sacrifice ourselves for those in distress as a culture. We have to acknowledge and repent of the ways that we objectify other humans of our perversion of all that God ordained manhood and womanhood to be of our oppression of those who are vulnerable. And as always, just like with everything else, repentance has to begin at the church. We have to have a revival of thought among God's people um, and a restoration of truly biblical principles in the place of the traditions of men that have long masqueraded under the guise of doctrine. And as we do that, the united body of Christ must agitate the world with the gospel of Christ and his message of redemption from all spiritual and physical oppression. The cultural harvest around us is ripe. This is the moment. And we must not let it go to waste and leave the harvest to the enemies of God, like you said, by regarding traditionally taboo areas of oppression as their rightful territory. Straight
2: up, straight up. We have
0: to reclaim all things in his name for his glory, including the pagan laws and governing authorities which protect and defend abusers and predators at the expense of the vulnerable. Uh, We have to wash ourselves and make ourselves clean and and put Are away it? the evil deeds okay.
2: of it. Yeah, you know, you answer this question honestly. I'm gonna put you on the spot. And Do this it. is not okay. Are you post millennial? <laughs> that sounded post mill right I there. I am
0: intentionally neither pre mill nor post Okay, all
2: right. is, is it I millennial. I'm of the
0: opinion, right opinion okay. that if we were supposed to know it wouldn't have been failed.
2: Okay, all right. <laughs> I'm just telling you, that sounded that sounded pretty post millennial right there.
0: Well, that's fine. Okay? I agree <laughs> with post mills <so> <laughs> on many, many
2: things. All right, all right. Not pressing, I'm just saying. All right? <laughs> Abolitionist Kate Robinson, this is the war room, and we're talking about smashing on the objectification of women. Justice for the weaker vessel. That is what this conversation is about. It's central to the abolition of human abortion, because any time that Moloch is at the center of society, you will have objectification of yeah. the weaker vessel. You will have the weaker vessel taken advantage of. The law of God is slanted towards protecting the weaker vessels of society that is how it works god is looking at how we apply his law and it goes towards the weaker vessel of society it's not look if i'm if, if if somebody's shooting at me it's it's not a tragedy i'll make it i'm a warrior whatever i'm gonna shoot back if somebody's shooting at kate it's a different story it's a different story. There's a different dynamic in it. That is because that is how we are created. All right, we don't right. need to go against that, all right? We need to just, you know, anyway. Do you think that this is one of those topics, Kate, where Christians have been duped by humanists into taking an anti-Christian stance. Nobody wants to be a social justice warrior after all, right? I Am I a social justice warrior for Rock and Kill the Lizard?
0: Yes! Yeah? I want to be a social justice warrior. <laughs> yeah. I don't think that I think the reason that we dislike the term, like that yeah. is an example of just what you're talking about, yeah. being duped by humanists into giving them dominion over the establishment of justice in come society. Come on, come on, come on. People associate it with the social gospel yeah. and so they associate causes advocating for the fair treatment of minorities and Women with the other side of the cultural wars. Uh They give those areas about which scripture is explicit. They give them over to the pagans. Mm -hmm. And I think this is definitely one of those areas. Um, The humanists have sold abortion, which is actually a deeply misogynistic practice that denies the God given attributes of womanhood. They've sold that as an essential right of womanhood and an essential piece of our equality. Mm -hmm. And not only have the lost bought wholeheartedly into that lie that sets women against their own children, the church has. Instead of preaching the redemptive word of God that humanizes all image bearers, we've regarded abortion as if it were actually a women's issue. Wow. And we've turned our rightful hatred of abortion into distrust and hatred of womanhood in general. Wow. And we've abandoned the cause of mercy and justice on behalf of women to those who have set themselves against God. Wow. And who are ignorantly or intentionally acting as agents of the enemy. And the enemy hates men and women and seeks to destroy us all and turn us against each Straight.
2: other. Wow. <laughs> Smash, smash,
0: (laughs) smash! I can't take credit for all
2: this. I look, look, no, no. hey! At the end of the day, at the end of the day, look, you gotta go check out that article. Um, Somebody put it in the comment section, the American Vision article Joel McDermott just wrote uh, about, you know, kind of redeeming, like saying, hey. We ought to be social justice warriors. We are the warriors in King Jesus that established justice Friends. in society. The foundations of God. How did the left get away with snatching that term? Exactly. That is crazy, unreal. It's like, oh, they could have it. You SJW. You SJW. You know, that is nuts. And should, they're, and they're getting that brand. It you know?
0: should not be an insult. Wow.
2: That yeah. is that's just crazy. I mean, it's like Alinskyism. That's like you know Saul Alinsky. It's like you know we're gonna get we're gonna get our brand out there. Right. And right. And then it's just it's nuts. Yeah. Nuts. take it back talk about the biblical view of the female created in god's image versus the secular humanist version of feminism so you have to show us that you're not a libtar <laughs> okay all
0: right all right we don't have up it. here you,
2: you know what i mean uh secular
0: yeah. humanists act like often act like a quality of value we, we have the same value as each other it means that men and women are exactly the same they ignore the differences in our bodies and brains yeah um, they they despise femininity and women as a weakness because deep down they actually think we are inferior, and uh, and they mischaracterize masculinity as like machismo or buffoonery and sadly many of the Christians who most loudly decry the things that they think of as secular humanism have adopted all of these. Exact same ideas. Mm. When we acknowledge the differences in men and women and their equality in Christ, and advance the biblical prescriptions for addressing the very real ways that the experiences of men and women are different above and beyond which one of us God wants behind the stove, we're speaking against Mm. secular humanism, and that has worked its way into the heart of mainstream Christianity. Biblical masculinity and femininity look nothing like the caricatures and corruptions that we see in both the world and the church. Uh They are opposing and complementary strengths. Neither men nor women who are in Christ are threats to each other. We're not walking vices. We're not walking temptations. And we're not under a curse. We are image bearers. Mm. and and we bear God's image in our masculinity and in our femininity and bring him glory in both
2: and the and the feminist uh, the secular feminist would never say that the secular no. would, I can do everything a man can do
0: that that's stupid <laughs> why would you want to <laughs> straight
2: up <laughs> <laughs> wow awesome all right i mean this this should be this is the kind of stuff that should be kind of really like biblically self-evident to to a to a christian it should like just bear witness why isn't this talked about more why why do you think that this is you think it really is as simple as that the enemy just puts up a scarecrow and we just run away. Is, yeah. is it that simple? Yeah,
0: I, I wow. do. I think it. I think, like I said, there's been, um, both direct and, and spoken and implied theologies and teachings that have been so rooted in the church. we we just haven't learned to think about things and, and we are scared to let go of traditions and scared to let go of the way that we have felt and been taught about things for so long. And, um, I don't think that most of it is that controversial. Sure. I think it just feels scary.
2: How could you... What what is there to disagree with? I'm trying to think of like... I'm trying to think of like back on everything that, that, that we've said. Like you've even you know like even for like the the hardcore theonomic like who are just listening to the show like trying to see if reconstructions radio is putting any non-theonomic material out there like y'all don't have anything to say i don't think if you're like if you're a christian like a patriarchal kind of thinking christian and you're listening to this i think light bulbs should be going on like there's nothing really here that's that controversial is yeah there?
0: i think that i think that there's some fear there i think there's some spiritual warfare like i said there's the lizard crying out to not die on some uh-huh. on some and there's fear. There's fear of, um, you know... Is it the
2: they're using C.S. Lewis? And
0: it, I mean, what is it,
2: man? <laughs> the heretic I, C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis has some fire, regardless of what you... I mean, goodness, <laughs> man. Goodness, that... I mean, dude, yeah. he weaves words together. Look, if you don't like C.S. Lewis, check out my man Joseph Foreman. He's the reconstructionist <laughs> version of C.S. Lewis. Definitely check out Joseph Foreman. Uh, look at him on Facebook. He comes out... He's like... If you're, if you're like... Definitely not going to listen to C.S. Listen to Joseph Foreman. You'll get everything that, that C.S. brings, all the good, without the baggage. So, but anyway, whatever. So talk a little bit more about the biblical view of justice for the weaker vessel. About how God's justice is not blind. We need to drive this point. Right. home. So show us that you're not a stupid conservative conserving paganism by accident.
0: Yeah. Justice, like you said, justice is another area where, where a lot of Christian and conservative circles have been seduced by pagan thinking. Um, like you said, the biblical justice is not blindfolded. It's not impersonal biblical justice does regard the position of the parties their physical and social and economic status and other factors of oppression or significant power differentials biblically god punishes injustice against the oppressed and the vulnerable people groups like in the sense of having fewer resources and options oppressing a widow an orphan the poor the stranger these are regarded by god with particular prejudice it's not equal he doesn't just say everyone is the same all justice matters these are among god's protected classes and that's a concept which was co-opted from the word of god and turned to wicked purposes not the other way around mm. this special duty of care extends farther than general warnings against cultural mistreatment um, the bible gives us precedential case law for um, this open-eyed judgment to be exercised in the courts. so for example in deuteronomy 22 25 to 27 which is what you pointed out to me when we talked before a man can be condemned to death for the rape of a woman in an isolated place on her testimony alone, without the need for further witnesses. Um,
2: Is there any other cases like that that we see the the no need for witnesses?
0: I don't know. There's, there's, <laughs> I mean, I don't know of one. And there are other there are, there are other situations that are described where um, you know if there are witnesses that those are called for. But yeah, I think that's the only, the only case we see of God saying Mm. this person will get justice based on her testimony because she was weaker and there was no one to protect her. And what, what recourse does she have if her testimony doesn't count?
1: Um,
0: so we see preference like this throughout scripture in regard to economic and charitable dealings, matters of debt and wages, marriage and divorce law, um, According to the book of James, which we all quote with abolitionism, care for widows and orphans is literally the purest expression of our faith and the most acceptable to God. God does look with favor upon some and disfavor upon other people. And his justice is the justice of a wise king, not a blind goddess. Oh. Which I did not know you were going to say. Look at that.
2: Okay, look, look, look. It was an original thought for you. (laughs) For me, I snatched it off my man Bo Marinoff. Uh,
0: I might have copied Bo too.
2: Dude, look at that. Look at that. God's justice (laughs) is the justice of a wise king, not a blind goddess. God's justice is the justice of a wise king, not a blind goddess. That is, that's, that's the fire button right there. Look, right. um, so we're about, we're an hour in, we're um, almost down, folks. you know, we're going to get your questions ready. If you have some questions, load them up. Uh, take us some, give us, give us an exhortation to righteousness and justice. Like you, you close it out for us. Okay. What, what exactly do we need to do? You're talking to reconstructionists, you're talking to abolitionists. You're talking to people who are on the front lines that are going to take, you know, what we've said here and they're going to, we're all about the application. We we can talk about these things all day long, but if we don't put it into action for Christ and his kingdom, then we're just, we're just babbling, right? So, so give us, give us a little bit of an exhortation.
0: I think that the people of God, we have to immediately abandon tribal loyalties, political conventions, religious assumptions created by the institutional church that are not found in scripture. We have to, like we said before, wash ourselves, make ourselves clean, remove the evil of our deeds from the sight of the Lord. We have to put aside fear and prejudice and selfishness and start to look upon each of our sisters in humanity or in Christ as image bearers of the living God instead of walking sources of threat or temptation. So, so many of us, both men and women, have been trained in our minds to regard women subconsciously as objects in ways that, that aren't immediately obvious or apparent, you don't have to look at porn or purchase a prostitute to be treating someone like an object, an image bearer. Although those things certainly do that. Um, you don't, um, all it takes is blaming her for your own sin. Sure. Desiring her or desiring him sure. for selfish gratification, either emotional or physical, to be treating another living, breathing human who bears the image of Almighty God as though we are the center of their existence, as though their presence on this earth is somehow referential to our needs our desires, our feelings. Mm. Today is the day to start to make a conscious decision to look past bodies, past reactions, past emotions, um, past yourself and see your sister as a human being. If she's sinning, let your desire be to rescue her, to cover her, to show her her worth and dignity in the eyes of God. If she's a woman of virtue, honor her. If she is unintentionally exposed in some way or not dressed according to your preferences or your cultural expectations, don't make it about yourself. Respond in a way, in whatever way, shows care and protectiveness for her dignity and respect for her as a person living in a vessel, not as an animated vessel whose existence is oriented around how you experience her. Mm. If she has been abused or abandoned and she's difficult or damaged or hard to reach or hard to understand, be compassionate, be gentle, be patient, give her a safe place to fall, to be open and vulnerable, lead without domineering Don't marginalize people for needing grace or understanding. Listen to your sisters who are asking you for help. Don't um, dismiss emotion as if it invalidates what they're saying. We, We don't say with the secular humanist feminists that women don't need men. We do need you. We need your masculinity just like you need our femininity. There are things that our brothers and fathers and husbands, if we have them, can give us that no sister ever could. And things our brothers can withhold from us that no one else can replace. Every single one of us, male and female, is commissioned by God to love our neighbors as ourselves. And this doesn't need to be any more complicated than that. Let's look on one another from the smallest zygote in our mother's womb to the oldest man on his deathbed as our neighbors. And do everything in our power to treat them As we would wish to be treated without regard for ourselves, particularly those who are smaller than us in physical stature, economic status, or social status. And I would just add to that quickly uh, an appeal to anyone listening or watching who feels upset or uncomfortable or who might be tempted to feel reactive or angry or dismissive to just take the opportunity to embrace humility. You don't have to agree with me. Um, I'll still be your friend if you don't. But I do urge you to search out scripture, to dig through scripture, to to find out if these ideas are real, to seek God, um, to resist the temptation to feel accused or defensive. And I mean, we know scripture tells us the vast majority of men and women are wicked and are lovers of self. That's the shoe we're describing when we talk about systemic oppression. We absolutely recognize that the washed and the redeemed and those walking out their sanctification with fear and trembling before God are righteous and loving men. Just as we recognize that regenerate women don't get abortions. And that um, for those among that number who have blind spots in this area or had blind spots, I used to. I used to think exactly the way that the people who are now sort of pressing back on this thing. So I understand. God is and will continue to be faithful in bringing light and sanctification to these things. Um, so if that's you, just as it has been me in the past, please, please just don't resist him. And if it's not you and this shoe doesn't fit you at all, awesome. Thank you. The, you have even less reason to feel defensive we're thankful for you and for your your taking the role of leadership and protection
2: wow i would like to thank you for <laughs> stepping into the war room and dropping the hammer the axe that was an axe to the root type of message case thank so, you for letting me i mean if i i mean round of applause <laughs> axe. i was just sitting here i mean y'all should be like bombing the crap out of this right here that was an amazing message um don't even feel adequate to put an exclamation point on it. Uh, here's the thing. So, um, let me, let me read this. Bo Marinoff, Celt, oh. I seldom say this.
0: I became one but, of those heroes. But you
2: are one of my heroes. <laughs> Hold on. I just messed I this up a little bit real quick. Okay.
0: It was uh, a, it was a team effort, Bo. <laughs>
2: uh, do Uh, so yeah, you know, uh, Nathaniel Robinson, the entire Robinson family, uh, love y'all. I know that um, that y'all have just just an amazing family. I mean, the, all the sisters. Uh, Nathaniel, um, what's, what's your mom's name? Jill. Jill, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I I know your dad a little bit through Facebook. We get into it over, you know, yeah. law enforcement and yeah, stuff. Yeah, I get like into that, it with my dad. In which Facebook is all good. He's because, awesome. Yeah, he is good. I, yeah, I, I love that man. I appreciate <laughs> me it. Me too. So, um, he is a
0: very good man. Yeah, but he wasn't always, and I don't think he'll mind me saying this, that he yeah. was not always a good man. And he can identify with a lot of these things that we're describing. And so when he says these things, I think his yeah. word carries some weight.
2: For sure, and I mean, just just like me, just I mean, just a sharp bunch. Uh, you know, Toby and, and Russ always tell me about how, like, you know, when y'all are having a conversation, that they're the ones intimidated by, by the intellect. They're like, it's nah, I don't.
0: Baffling to it. me to hear that
2: because <laughs> <laughs> the I robbers do. are <laughs> sharp. So I had to practice for this interview. I had to look up my vocab and all that shit. get sharp. You know, sometimes swag doesn't do everything. So. Uh, He did okay for someone who's the worst. If we have any questions here, uh, uh, this is Dustin. What's up? What's up, Dustin? How you doing, brother? Uh, Proud mama. You should be proud, Jill. You should be proud. And um, Toby, absolutely, man. Where you at, man? You supposed to be here, dog? Yeah,
0: what the heck, Toby?
2: Yeah, big dog. We'll stop by the house and see the pups. That's for sure. Uh, good job, Kate. From John Andrew Reisner. So, look, one of the things that I always do before I go live is is I will I will look to a few resources. One of them, Me obviously, too. is is I look I look to Bolshoi Marinoff. I, I, I'm I look a, to
0: Elizabeth Goss. Of course.
2: <laughs> now I, I will be as well. Um, I look to Bo Marinoff. I look to Joel McDermott. Another guy I look at is John Andrew Reisner. Yeah. And, and the reason why I look at John Andrew Reasoner is because he's got that fire. And so before I get on the mic and spit the bars, I got to get my fire from the <laughs> jar. And so big up to the whole family out there in Virginia, um, out there at the Cross and Crown Church. Uh, uh, you know, ev- everybody out there just doing a fabulous job holding it down for the kingdom. My man Wilson, Jason. Love y'all. I'll be seeing y'all soon. We're going to make it out there to Virginia. Uh, did okay even though you're not a Canadian. Dustin's a funny guy. man. Yeah.
0: yeah he's well, funny. he's funny for Canadians.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so do we have... Um, and I'm serious. I'm serious, Reasoner. Your, your stuff is fire. And I steals it. And sometimes I give you credit, but I'm giving you credit now. <laughs> um, so, uh... Yeah, we're going to wait for a couple. We're going to wait for a couple questions. If there are any questions, any challenges, or anything like that, uh, please get them ready and put them up here now because you're ruining the video for us I, waiting yeah. for you.
0: I just want to say I love you guys. I love everybody. And this is. I don't. I know that um, sometimes online communication and communication messages can seem fraught or or be misinterpreted easily because we sort of impose our own things on them and stuff so i hope that being able to hear us talk and and give people some understanding of of my heart and the heart of my family in in this and and other people liz Sachs, you know john Reisner. there's a ton of other folks yeah. that are lots of other yeah. people are saying the same things that we're saying this isn't these aren't new ideas
2: and, and what appealed to me wasn't like you know I, I i saw y'all taking you know fire in in the abolitionist community I'm not trying to smash on any abolitionists. Mm-hmm. Like y- y'all are, you know, warriors in the trenches with us. I'm about standing with abolitionists. You know, I think that you know if, if this in, if this issue isn't understood um, on some levels, there, it's all good. I hope that this brings clarity, and I hope that you know challenge anything that's been said, and let's let's get to it. But my real thing about this wasn't to like, oh, we're gonna we're gonna stick it to these abolitionists. My thing was. Um, was was look if we're going to be applying justice in every area of life
1: right
2: um you know we're dealing with the racial issue over here obviously we always deal with the abortion genocide right. we need to consistently show and be committed to showing to how the application of the law of god yes. works everywhere because there is Absolutely. no law outside of the law of god it's either mm-hmm. man's law or an uh, anomia or 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 tor or yeah. god's law right and so we're applying it in these areas so we ain't perfect, but at the end of the day, this doesn't really seem like a very controversial thing. So let's see here. How do we know that you don't need two or three witnesses to enforce capital punishment for the Deuteronomy 22 passage?
0: Luke, if you read that passage, it, it says it right in there that, be, that the reason that, um, that that penalty is enforced is because there was no one to hear her cry out. It says she cried out, but there was no one to hear her. Um, and then how do we know she cried out? Well, she said she did. There was no one to hear. There, so if there was no one to hear, as the scripture says, then um, there's no one to witness.
2: Sure. And, you know, one of the things that I've heard, I, and, you know, I've, I've heard that asked before. And then the other thing that usually comes up is, well, we don't. We don't live in a theonomic society oh, where yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. You know, we don't live in a the in, in, in a biblical society, that's all fine and good because if she lies, then guess who's e- guess who's executed, right? Sure. Well yeah. in our society there isn't really much of a penalty.
0: But that is the answer. I think there's a there's a fear I mean there are there are penalties for making false accusations. Sure, but it's and not. I think they're less common than people realize, but they yeah. do happen. It's
2: not execution.
0: Um no it's not. Just yeah. playing the
2: devil's advocate. No, you're right. you know? yeah. no you're right. Yeah. And that
0: but that's what I would say. Rather than than being scared to To execute or to um, exercise biblical protocol for investigations and things like that because we're afraid of false accusations. Mm -hmm. The answer is to make the punishment for false accusations equal to the punishment for the crime.
2: So let me be clear on this then. We shouldn't be acting out of fear
0: no never
2: we should be acting out of faith we should right. be taking the land right. right we should be exercising dominion out of faith like we're not gonna we're not gonna compromise the law of god because the situation sucks no, of
0: course not no of course not are we, you sure you're not a god.
2: post-millennial theonomist no
0: i just actually think god is real <laughs> and
2: i just think that if god is real and an
0: active agent, you don't ever yeah. have to disobey him or compromise his law because he honors obedience
2: yeah okay <laughs> so. good a hey, uh, jar good good question right here uh please elaborate on how this does not mean that just any accusation is seen as automatically legit you, you know i've seen this come up several times yeah. and i think that's why he's asking it. this i'm sorry this doesn't seem like a very this doesn't seem like a question that that this seems like a very easy answer to me let's just put it that way <laughs> all right what what is the answer to that
0: well I mean, maybe you or, or Alyssa can provide more clarification. But my, if you read the passage right before that in Deuteronomy, yeah. it describes a different situation where something happens with a woman in a populated area where there are people to witness. Sure. And in that case, because she could have cried out and she didn't get, um, she didn't wasn't heard by anyone. Someone could have come to her rescue if she had called for rescue. Sure they both get the death penalty for adultery in that case. It's talking specifically about women who are engaged to other men. But, um, so there are safeguards. It's not like in any situation, in any circumstance, you can say something happened to me and, and, that's official death penalty, and
2: the law of God is um, not wooden in that area. I mean, it's, it's not. I mean, goodness gracious! If, I mean, are you saying that we have to suspend our, our the right and duty of private judgment? We can't judge good and evil. Oh, the woman said it. You're dead. Right?
0: I mean, right are, you, exactly. are you kidding? I mean, it, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like
2: there is no other evidence that can be taken into consideration. Our there's character. no other. Yeah, <laughs> <absolutely>. <laughs> I mean, absolutely. It's like the same thing where it's like this is the kind of these are the kind of things that we run into where it's like. Um, unless there's two witnesses to a murder, like two, like four eyeballs on a murder, then that person uh, it, it gets let go. So in other words, I'm like I count the amount of people that are around, and I'm like, oh, there's one witness. Here's my gun. Bam! Shoot yeah. you in the head. Two sets. What? That's two eyeballs right there. I'm free. Yeah. And people try to like make the enemy look like it's that right. You know, exactly. and, and that's kind of like the thing. It's like, no, no. I mean, no.
0: evidence is witness in in court. Um, Straight up. But, it, it, I mean, it, if you're arguing against that, think about what you're arguing. That unless a rape happened on camera or in the presence of witnesses, the woman should have no recourse, no justice. And I don't think anybody here is arguing that. Um, yeah. What did are what did say? The burden... The burden is on the man to watch his step and not on the woman to avoid being in a remote remote place. And that is a really good point. There's a safeguard because let's say that the man in the field didn't actually force the woman. That it was consensual. Well, one way to avoid that is to not be in a field having sex with a woman. (laughs) So even if he's not guilty of the violent crime, he's guilty of... Something yep. else that opened him up to that accusation. Sure. And I think that upright men who don't put themselves in sinful situations, I do sure. believe that God is real and defends people who are sure. innocent. Sure.
2: Absolutely. <laughs> so absolutely. Um, I, I mean, straight up.
0: Is that, does that answer that? Straight
2: up. It just comes with the responsibility. Absolutely answers it. It comes with the responsibility of being the stronger vessel. Yeah. To whom much is given, much and is required. And
0: all it's saying is that her testimony isn't, isn't dismissed as not real just because, I mean, in, in this situation, the woman in that biblical passage, she does have less physical strength. She has less economic strength. She has less social strength. This just levels the playing field a little bit. Sure. It levels justice out and gives her um, the ability to come forward. Because I think in some cases we've been so afraid of false accusations that we've done to the woman what we don't want to be done to the man. Sure. Or in any, it could be men and women in other ways too, but sure. um, where we automatically label them a liar or something right. and, and convict them of a crime to right. avoid falsely convicting someone else. And we have to avoid that.
2: Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So Toby Harmon says, What about what you believe <laughs> about modesty?
0: Toby, I believe that the Bible <laughs> commands women to dress modestly. And I would never say anything opposite to that. I know you know that. Um, I also believe that the the um, command to dress modestly is... I don't know how to say this, but... It's not for the reasons that we're taught. It's not to protect men from ever having to be aware of us. And I don't mean to, to hyperbolize or to, to strawman anybody. But it yes, we should avoid being... Um, intentionally seductive in a sexual way, obviously, but the biblical commands about modesty have more to do with like not being um, to not even like it's not even there's not even that much of a sexual context. Yeah. It's yeah. more about like humility. More about it's humility. more about like like if you wear something new and expensive every week when the other women can't afford it, mm-hmm. you're being immodest. Okay. And I'm not saying that you should dress. Seductively, oh, yeah, definitely, a, definitely shouldn't. Absolutely yes. not. I will always say yeah. not. But I think that um, that we've started to think about modesty as being a responsibility on the woman to protect men, uh-huh. and it's not that. It's a responsibility on the woman to bring glory to God instead of bringing attention to herself. Praise God,
2: you blessed me with that answer. That I really like that. Okay. You know, that, that does make a, that makes a lot of sense. Moving along, real quick um how does this is jake eakin what's up jake uh explain how the uh, the uh the objectification i assume you mean to say the deobjectification
0: objectification of women
2: the objectification of women is the second great object of abolitionism your og abolitionism. yeah i mean i nice didn't I,
0: see. I didn't make that when we say it's the second great object like you know russell was the one that actually um modeled that sort of after Wilberforce, who had two great objects, which was the abolition of slavery and the, um, I always forget the way, the Reformation of Manners, which yeah. was actually more radical than it sounds now in our language. But, um, yeah. but it, it just goes back to everything we said earlier about how the objectification of women is so intricately woven into the abortion holocaust. So um, those are his you know, Russell's two great objects that he chose for his life. And I wholeheartedly agree with them that, um, that abolitionism, the, like you said earlier, abolitionism is the redemption of man from the dominion of man. So So in any situation where man is oppressed by man and, or by that, I mean, mankind image bearers are oppressed by image bearers. We are to redeem them from that dominion.
2: Absolutely. So yeah, straight up. And I mean, it's not like, you know, um, you know, two great objects or something like that. We're, we're, I mean, we're talking more, you know, subjective in application there. I think that, you know, really it's about what Kate just said. It's, it is it is about delivering man from the dominion of man. Right. And that deliverance rushes towards the vulnerable. Right. And it says, well, wait a second, if I'm running into a building and I see two children, right, and then I see like some buff dude in the other room... I'm running and grabbing the kids first and then I'm going back to get the dude. If I ran to the dude and then he's like, he'd probably be like, what the heck? Go get the kids, you know, I'll be alright, I'll get this thing off, whatever, you know, go get, and if the guy what, imagine if the guy's raising their hand and there are saying hey, why are you getting the kids first? All burning uh, all people in the burning building matter <laughs> right. and all that kind of stuff, right? So it's really kind of more like, you know, Russ, Russ is an artist and so he finds ways to connect the history together yeah. and all that but it's not some dogmatic thing where we're like these are the two things that no, you do. No, no, no
0: it's so, just redemption and man from dominion yeah. and man and the racism stuff that we talked about protecting the economically vulnerable Or the racially—it's all—it's all all the same. We protect vulnerable people from stronger people because tyranny is bad
2: it's not about look at the end of the day we're not going to kill this abortion holocaust in a vacuum uh, humanism is going to have to be That's destroyed right. humanism yeah. is going to have right. to be dethroned and under a humanistic tyranny that weaker vessel will always 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 be oppressed yes. so the justice of God runs towards that weaker vessel and let me tell you something when you rescue the weaker vessel you win the hearts of society everyone likes the movie where the knight rides in and, yes. and, and, and saves the day yes. everyone loves that movie and you root Including for that not <laughs> hey, absolutely so if you want to win the hearts of the culture Take this message. Really? I mean, this is this is good stuff right here, okay? Uh, this doesn't stop uh, being oh, awesome. I just got Okay, That's my He's
0: saying he has to go to a meeting.
2: Okay. Well, Salon, uh, I love you too, brother. No, no for sorry. sure. Okay. Well, hey, look, we are out of time. If you want to get with us uh, in the comments section, please do so. Let me see if I can work my... Okay, awesome. Thank you for joining us in the war room today.
1: Thank you for joining us in the war room. Please enjoy The Nation's Rage, Psalm 2, by My Soul Among Lions. Why do the nations
2: rage? Why do the...